Welcome to the Geekcentric Podcast, and welcome to our spoiler review and discussion for Marvel Studios' Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. My name is Justin, and today we can finally talk about all the spoilers from Marvel Studios' Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, out now in theaters. While we've already shared some of our thoughts in our spoiler-free discussion, today we'll be focusing on specifically the story, the characters, and of course, giving you our rating. Then we'll be wrapping things up with a discussion around those mid- and end-credit scenes and the bigger implications they have on the MCU. We will not be holding back in this episode. We will be embarking on full spoiler details so you have been warned and with that allow me to introduce you to my lovely co-host he's the huggable morris of our crew nate shelton how are you buddy mm-hmm. uh listen mm-hmm. justin Perfect. i'm doing well uh i do want to just say listen if you aim at nothing you hit nothing quoted by wayne gretzky michael scott and now this old lady in this movie And also now uh, this uh, chicken pig thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What did you call uh, it? He he was the OG razor fist in my life. That is Kevin Hudson. Okay, listen, you would never catch me in a little hatchback with with spray paint on the side. That's for sure. (laughs) I don't know. I I feel like that has the right amount of glam that speaks to Kevin Hudson. Kevin, you you do a lot of razor fisting? I feel bad for, oh my gosh. (laughs) And we have our regular guest, the mystically fly, Darcy Hudson. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I, you guys keep saying finally get to talk about it. I just saw it and I loved every second of it. So <laughs> let's let's get right into it. As I mentioned, you know, we've already talked about this in great lengths. Our thoughts and opinions in our spoiler free. Um, and after seeing it a second time, I think it's safe to say not much has really changed for most of us. However, as Darcy mentioned, last night was his first time checking out the movie. And as our in-house Marvel comic expert, I gotta know, Darcy's kicking us off here. What did you think of Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings? I I was thoroughly surprised. I went in there because he's one of the few Marvel characters where I don't have the most uh, in-depth knowledge of his story. I've only read a couple of his minor series that have been on on, uh, released recently. But uh, going into this with, you know, again, very, you know, low expectations, I guess you'll call it. I was pleasantly surprised and blown away, and I'm looking forward to more stories that we're going to get with the, the cast of characters that were introduced in this film. Yeah. That was a, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a really cool way to introduce the character to the uh, the universe. Can, and again, the changes they made were, were really neat. So can't wait to talk about more with you guys. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that, again, you know, when we were talking about it, before the movie came out, Darcy, I know you were speaking very much to like, you know, Shang-Chi's sort of street level sort of uh, implications of of his character in the comics and, you know, the ties that he has to other street level characters like like Daredevil and, and you know, Luke Cage and, and that sort of uh, ring of defenders, if you will. Um, were you surprised with certain elements of how it kind of took you into to really going bold places for the, for the mystics? Uh, not really. I feel like with, you know, Doctor Strange uh, being very present and Wanda and all that being very present in this lead up to phase four, having such a strong mystical element in this movie really felt made it feel like the beginning of phase four to me in terms of the cinematic side. So I, I totally understand going that route because, again, his character is deeply tied to the mystical side of stuff. He just he doesn't deal with the, the Thanos level threats usually. So I thought For it sure. was a, 
Like, this is a very this was a very appropriate story for the character, in my opinion. I mean, obviously they've changed some of the dynamics with a the ten rings turning them into ten bracelets, and then uh, with the character of the Mandarin, not quite the Mandarin Zhu Wenwu, like. Uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with that character, and what did you think of those changes? Well, it's interesting because in the comics, uh, there's my catchphrase already, got it <laughs> early. Uh, his, like the, both the character of the Mandarin and uh, Shang-Chi's father in, in the comics, again, uh, is uh, Fu Manchu. And so both of those characters, when they were first released, were very stereotypical Western portrayals of an, uh, you know, an, yeah. an evil Asian figure, basically. Yeah. So I like the way that they've kind of addressed that almost with this movie, saying that it was embarrassing. It was the West using our name or my yeah. name poorly. So I, it was a really unique way to combine these two characters and, and uh, really bring them to a modern uh, level of storytelling where it's not, you know, they're not evil because they're from the East, basically, because that seemed like what was the their whole stick in the comics to begin with. I, I appreciate that a lot, especially kind of, you know, we came off the, the spoiler free. I was listening back to it and we did sound pretty disappointed with uh, with the character of of Wen Wu. And I, I think seeing it a second time, seeing the movie a second time, I, I do see and I did recognize how much they really did highlight the differences of him as a villain in contrast to a lot of the other Marvel villains that we got. Um, and I, I just want to quickly just shout out the the concept of seeing a movie. It's weird. This is the first time that I have seen a movie without a normal audience, right? It, the screeners, it's like there's like maybe five other people in the theater, even for something like Shang-Chi. Uh, and so to see it now with a, an actual audience on an actual screen with with like you know the 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 actual good audio really elevated the movie for me and i think even just having the energy of other people around me who hadn't mm. seen it yet laughing at the jokes and 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 you know enjoying every single moment of it um it really made a big difference for me uh, i can definitely see that especially with the audio that did help um yeah. amplify a lot, a lot of the scenes but i'm not sure maybe it was you know uh because capacity here is still only at 50 percent. it didn't have that typical opening marvel movie feel that i was i've been clamoring for for almost two years like i still felt it was a bit soft on that side personally and so i wonder if it was the movie or if it was because it is a limited audience i, I guess it might just be the audience we had people hooting and hollering in our in our theater even before the movie it. started like yeah. we, we got the no way home trailer we got the eternals trailer people were clapping after that yeah right yeah, and i think so. even during the opening fanfare people were so like I could hear people like shaking. You guys got the like, No Way Home trailer. Yeah, yeah, that's the, oh, we, we didn't. Did. That I would love to yeah. see that up on the big screen. I'm sure oh, that would have gotten a reaction. Then yeah, the archive sure. was very tame and subtle, yeah. except for one part at the end where he read something off the screen and it's like, oh, I couldn't read that. Thanks for that. Like, <laughs> other than that, it was very quiet. Yeah, <laughs> hmm, interesting. Well, guys, let's uh, let's dive right in and you know talk about the story of of Shang Chi and and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I think it's safe to say collectively. You know, we have different takes on on what we might have appreciated and and maybe taken away from this this narrative. Um, I feel like really, you know, it starts off strong uh, with with sort of a really great pacing on par with what we're expecting from from Marvel with those first two acts. But kind of feels like it rushes to an end. And you know, I I think even upon a second viewing, I know Darcy, it's it's it was only your first, but. Even after the first, I, I still felt I feel the same way as it just it felt like it needed to set things up for the bigger picture of, of what they're doing. And I feel like story kind of got sacrificed in that last act. Yeah, Justin, we were talking offline a little bit about how 
you know, if this movie had come out in phase two, uh, that maybe the later half of this movie, Justin, you were saying, like, could probably have been put as a sequel. You know, going to, to Talo could be in, in, a, in a sequel of some kind and, and really keep that more grounded level hero that we're, we're expecting from, from Shang-Chi. Uh, but I do think, yeah, I do think the first opening, like, I'd say the first act of the movie is, in my opinion, my favorite first act from an origin story Marvel movie, 100%. and this is this yeah. is over something like Iron Man, which has an amazing first act. So, like, I do really think there's so much good in this movie, um, and it just doesn't nail the landing. And that was the mm-hmm. biggest issue for me was that last thirty minutes of the storyline where it did start to become a bit more of a CGI fest and lose its focus from again, as we said in our spoiler free review, the the family element, uh, and and especially Wen Wu. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I think my perspective on it changed a little bit in that. I didn't mind that final act, that final battle, as much as I as it sort of bothered me mm-hmm. after the first viewing. And I just think it's because the action is so well done in this movie that even though it does still feel like it might have been unnecessarily large in terms of scale, it's still there are still moments during that final scene that are really, really cool and really, really fun. And you get to see the characters that you followed on this journey do some cool stuff. For me... Where the movie struggles is in those flashbacks, especially in that middle scene. As soon as the big skyscraper scaffolding battle happens, the movie comes screeching to a halt for about 30 minutes until Ben Kingsley gets on screen and sort of (laughs) saves everything, where I found myself kind of bored by it. I'm not sure. It just it really dragged in that little middle chunk for me. I I think this comes back to the sort of... uh, it, 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 could, it could be connected to pacing, but I think it's the how how exposition was handled. The way exposition's handled in that first act, leading it to that sort of skyscraper battle, is so well done. It, it, it balances it between those flashbacks and and kind of sprinkling a little bit of elements that you discover along the way as as an audience member. But to Kevin's point, when they get back with their, with Wen Wu and he explains what his grandmaster plan is. Uh, you know, that's one instance of of that sort of heavy handed exposition. I think another instance of that is when they do end up in uh, Tylo and their aunt is explaining the history. You know, it, it's just so heavy handed. I, I agree that at certain points they're like, here, let's force feed it. But at other times it's like, OK, let's take our time with this and, and allow it to kind of be something experienced. But again, that's where you have to wonder, does the placement of this movie in the MCU timeline is that what's really affecting this? Because, again, would they need to cram so much of this in here? And, again, we'll get how, how it all might connect, you know, later on in the, in the podcast. Sure. But, but d- you know, is that maybe what caused a lot of some of this speed up, some of this, you know, race to the finish sort of mentality with the storyline and, and how it sort of just ends? I, I'm, pro- I'm kind of on a different page than you guys. I thought the pacing was brilliant throughout the whole movie. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of uh, Eastern media and stuff like that i read a lot of manga watch anime watch a lot of the films as well and it felt very traditional in that sense just in the way they were approaching storytelling using the past flashbacks it was it's very deeply ingrained in their culture and i thought it was very fitting in the way that they used that to tell the story of shang chi in the modern universe so i thought that was really cool and 
again, it uh, it had the same the same pacing and hit marks as a lot of popular uh, kung fu movies, where there is the lull in the middle where you figure out the the character's backstory and why they're doing what they're doing. And uh, I again, I feel like seeing that stuff, you saw that I I felt that Wen Wu did really change, and it was the loss of his wife that caused him to turn back to power. And it was it's a very he was a very tortured villain, and I thought it was really really cool to see that. So uh, yeah, I, I think that I think what they did really well was actually the flashback sequences. They they really rooted the flashback sequences to the connectivity of memory um, and 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 the idea of family and how family is is an extension of memory and the, the connectivity of that. You know, we see all of the different moments of where there were struggles in their in their family connection as well as, um, you know, the, the things that allowed them to grow uh, together. So in terms of using memory as an extension of exposition, I thought it was handled really, really well. Yeah, I, I liked those elements of it, and I preferred them sprinkling those flashbacks throughout the movie rather than yes. having a 30-minute sort of intro where we would get all that story told to us. Right. And when there was something happening with the characters in the modern time and it flashed back to something that had happened in their past, it worked really well. I just think right. they might have gone back to that well two or three times too many. And, you mm. know, it might have only been for a couple minutes each time, but that adds up to 10, 15 minutes of the movie where it's not progressing the story any further. And it's like, how much of an explanation do I really need? I sort of get where they're coming from and what, what their motivations are. Let's move forward to see what they do with these motivations. But it, al it almost makes it a little bit too um, difficult when the, with the way they implemented it in the sense of they're not just doing these flashbacks to tell you about Shang-Chi's past. They're doing it for Wenwu. They're doing it for his mom. They're doing exactly. it for, for Shang-Chi's mom, everyone. right? It's, it's for family. everyone, for Jai Ling. Yeah. So I loved how they, they incorporated that for the whole family. And I think it would have been really tough for them to have crammed. I'm glad they didn't cram all that into, again, a big exposition dump sure. flashback moment. Yeah. And it was sprinkled throughout. So I, I kind of disagree with you, Kara, Kevin, just in the sense of like, I, I think that they needed to, to have that many. Mm -hmm. I went to see the film with my mom and my brother and stuff like that. And my mom, with the recent Marvel shows, we watched those are those with her as well. And she has she's been having trouble, you know, trying to pick up all these leads they're putting down as the show goes on. And <laughs> even afterwards, the show ends, she's somewhat confused. So I, she really enjoyed this movie because she was expecting more of the same. And to get all the everything she needs to know, like clearly explained to her, she found that very refreshing and, and really enjoyed that aspect of the movie. Uh, one thing I did like is uh, a lot of the the, oh, the flashback scenes, specifically the beginning story when uh, they're talking about how the Legend of the Ten Rings was formed. I just like the way they used very traditional like wire work to do perform the stunts. You know, she's very floaty through the air, and it was very classic kung fu movie style. I really thought that was a unique way because even later on in the, some of the other flashbacks, it is it goes the same style where it's focusing more on the combat and telling a story through that as opposed to using words and stuff like that. I thought it was very, very cool. To, to talk about that action and especially the stunt, uh, you know, coordination, uh, shout out to, to Brad Allen, who the film is actually dedicated to uh, in memoriam for his passing. He was, uh, he was the supervising stunt coordinator on the film. And it's just so incredible. The, the action that we do get in this movie and the way that we see these stunts pulled off, not just from a standpoint of like crouching tiger, hidden dragon style. Like you mentioned, RC, we've got the Jackie Chan comedic style throughout mm -hmm. there. And I don't know. I noticed this the second time. I didn't notice this the first time, but in Shang-Chi's room uh, that he's working out in, um, you see the, the warriors poster uh, mm -hmm. and also a poster for Kung Fu hustle. And so you mm -hmm. have to imagine those as a lot of the inspiration for the fighting styles and action uh, cinematography in the movie um, was, I don't know. It was just so good. 
I, Nate, I'm, I'm totally on with you there in that I think the best element of this movie, beyond story, um, beyond maybe even characters, is the action. I think the scene on the bus, the scene on the side of the building might be the two best action instances that aren't reliant on you know, either huge armies or huge mm -hmm. creatures or that sort of thing. The action is incredible. And I think more than anything, that's where Simu stands out as a performer in that he's so believable doing these fighting moves and these, these, the, this, just these sequences. He, it's just, he's such a believable action hero. Yeah, those action scenes are two of my favorite from the entire MCU, I think. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that those those to me were very were very um, intentional fight scenes to really showcase and the next level of of action that we'll see in the MCU moving forward. But with that, you know, I, I think that some of the the fighting sequences, and I think I said this in our 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 um, spoiler free, it is looked at as martial arts. And it, it, effect, it effectively establishes, that the opening scene effectively establishes um, a theme that we would see repeated where they explicitly connect martial arts with sort of a ballet. You know, there's a beauty, there's a fluidity, the, you know, the motion that is captured in the scenes feels, you know, very, very much like it's establishing a, a sort of a new centric style to martial arts that can be viewed uh, in the MCU as a spiritual uh, balance, right? So, so well done of how they really hit home, you know, action, yes, in this movie, but then also just a, a really, like, beautiful s sort of focus on that uh, from a cultural standpoint as well. Also, a lot of this action is just freaking badass. There is a mm -hmm. moment that is ingrained in my brain since the first time I saw it where um, just one of the Talo fighters, you know, a bunch of them put their shields together and then one of them runs up a shield and smashes the soul sucker into one of those giant lion's mouths. And it's just such a dope. Like it reminded me. I'm like, this is what I want from a Pokemon movie. Can we get this in a Pokemon <laughs> movie, please? Because um, mm -hmm. it was just so freaking cool. And so I think the movie is it, it, it's able to, to not only give us that those beautiful moments, but also those badass moments as well. And I also just wanted to shout out uh, the cinematography in the movie because the the way that the movie is captured, Bill Pope, I think, did such a cool job with um, two specific moments that really stuck to me, which on two separate occasions, him using reflections. So there's a moment with Katie, uh, you know, she's singing to distract uh, her enemy uh, in Macau on the scaffolding. And then the, the, the that glass breaks and then the camera pulls out and you realize, oh, that was a reflection. And then he uses that again with uh, young Shang-Chi as he's watching his dad get revenge, where you see, you know, the reflection of what's going on. And then the camera pulls back to show uh, a young Shang-Chi. I just thought it was so dope in terms of how the movie was captured and I thought that was really well done. Well, and even just the way you weave in and out of the bus as mm -hmm. with, with Shang-Chi as he's fighting. I mean, I can't believe that after that trailer that him doing the sort of jump split leg kick to the two guys is maybe the 10th coolest thing that happens right? in that scene. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. wow. I thought, Oh man, did the trailer just give away the best part of that? And like, not even close. There were just so good. some amazing, amazing camera work and everything like that. Yeah. The cinematography captures the, the choreography because it's, it's almost mirrored to it. There is a, there is a beauty and a fluidity to the camera work and how it weaves its way through it. And, and, you know, you pointed out the, the, the shattering of, of the glass, 
glass, you know, it, it is very reminiscent of, of already pre-existing visuals that we've seen within this sort of mystic world of, of Doctor Strange. And, sure. Uh, what right? if? And, and yeah. what if and, and whatnot. So I think that... I think the one thing that they, they sort of needed to sort of decide a bit better going into this through trailers and whatnot was that were they going to tell people people that Trevor Slattery was in it or not? Because that was the one question mark that I think a few people had. Who was that guy again? Where would I know him from? And because I'd seen it, because I knew that, you know, they had shown him at press uh, at screenings and everything like that, I showed Sarah the um, um, the, the little 14-minute piece yeah, of him all that, the king. that sets yeah. it up really nicely mm-hmm. as to where his character is. And they almost needed to hammer that home to people. Like, be sure to watch this before you see this movie. Just because he becomes such an integral part of that movie that sort of sitting there for a couple minutes going, who is he again? Why do I know him? How is he here? That just would have helped some audiences, I think, who aren't just like immersed into the MCU as much as maybe we are and others. Um, You know, Kevin, you were talking about characters and i think that it, this might be a good time to let's let's get into ben kingsley playing uh trevor saturday this was a big question mark right like everyone was wondering i know there was leaks before you know he's at the premiere he's in the movie then you know we were on the press conference that he was there and we didn't even want to talk about it because we thought it was a really cool surprise even though it was kind of pre-blown but anyways it, it was interesting to see him you know you were saying it, 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 the movie picks up or kind of it gets saved by him i actually think as soon as we meet him that's where the movie just starts to go downhill for me oh really? oh no, no. I, that's you know, he's interesting. the highlight he's the highlight no i really like the inclusion of his character because it allowed sure. for katie's character to go from being the comic relief to having her own personal growth and 100%. story Smart. he was solely the the source of the jokes which again sure. some of these heavier stories that deal with like some family betrayal and all that stuff it's you need to have these lighter moments to to keep you up and keep the pace uh, light so i yeah. thought his introduction was a really really great way to do that and allow character growth among the rest of the cast Sure, mm-hmm. sure. I, yeah. I, I just think, though, for clarity purposes, him being added to it wasn't the downfall. It's right at the moment of his introduction that we start getting into all of the sort of now let's take you to level two of this of this story. Let's start introducing the more mystic qualities of, of where we're going. And that's where that ramp up of expositional information needed to be given. And if you think about it, that's the purpose he served other than being the comedic portion. He was the, as he said, the conduit or the gateway for Morris. <laughs> so that, you know, and to, to, to be able to express what Morris is, is thinking and saying. So I, I think that that was probably for me where it starts to kind of take a turn. I mean, because he's on screen pretty constantly for the next about 20 minutes. And that was, those 20 minutes are the best non-action parts of the movie for Mm -hmm. me. I mean, Mm -hmm. I just want to, who knew that Ben Kingsley, I mean, because I just watched All Hail the King as well for the first time, just before seeing this this movie for the second time. He might be the funniest character in the MCU, his portrayal Mm -hmm. of this character. Who knew that Sir Ben Kingsley is like one of the best comedic actors of our time. I've never you've never seen it from him before really. I would love like a a a maybe if they do another short. We were talking about like why don't they do any more of these shorts like the All Hail the King. How sick would it be if we just got all the comic relief characters? We get Drax, we get him, we get like Deadpool, we get Luis. Korg, we get Luis, we get freaking um Clev from this movie by the way. Can we talk about Clev? Uh, no, all in the same short. Clev, Clev come horrible. on, he's streaming. Clev was no. awesome. No, uh, on the bus, I thought he was uh, fantastic. Uh, for those who don't know, Clev is also 
in Spider-Man. Uh, Justin, you kind of mentioned that. He's the one who's like, hey, hey Spider-Man, yeah. make that fat flip. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Um, so it's just funny to see that he was in, I guess he was in New York and uh, San Francisco. It would be great if they, if they somehow connected. He had to move after the snap, hey, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe he realized there was more cheaper real estate out there and needed to get out there, and get away from things. It's very possible, <laughs> yeah. very possible. I, again, not enough can be said about Simu Liu and his portrayal of Shang Chi as as this sort of relatable uh, character who who br- brings a lot of weight to it, um, and, and does does kind of become like this sort of fanboy characteristic of of someone in the MCU. But I, I gotta say, uh, Tony Leung. Uh, as Wenwu, yeah. uh, I think he was absolutely fantastic. You know, because he didn't really—he wasn't really a villain as much as he was just a bad father, right? Like he's just right. Well, and that's what I thought they sort of missed the mark on. That's maybe my yeah. biggest issue in terms of a character is that because he is yeah. great at portraying almost this sympathetic bad guy that you know just sort of lost his way. And I just wish that at certain moments of the film they had made him more ruthless. They had made him more evil. I mean, I'm picturing that opening scene where he's taking over that fortress and he approaches the the other army on his own and he starts kicking their butts. I think if at that moment all of the other soldiers who were left standing had surrendered and then he just wiped them out anyways, you know, that sort of thing to make him be this ultimate menacing threat that has been around for centuries. They didn't make him seem like this warlord overpowering must be taken down threat that i think they were trying to portray him as well again we we were getting him after he had hung up the mantle of warlord so he had kind of settled down and the ten rings was presumably running itself or something at that point so he had stepped away and it was him coming back to get vengeance on the people who killed his wife and again the the iron gang is who kill us that's why he was going after the street gang is because they're the ones who came after him Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh i i really liked his character portrayal again i thought it was really like a really cool way to show like how he wasn't a bad person he Mm -hmm. just went down the wrong path after Mm -hmm. losing the person he loved the most so Mm -hmm. i i thought it was great but kevin i get to you know to a a fair point there it would have been cool to see a a bit more of a contrast to see a, a sort of a much like larger gap between the evil Wenwu and then the family side family Wenwu. Side Wenwu um, yeah. And I think it would have been cool to really see that evil side come through at its full tilt yet again uh, at the end of the movie instead of leaning hard on this aspect of another villain, which again, I do think, and we'll, we'll talk about it. I'm sure we all got our theories about that other villain, but I just, I, I just think it, it just lost its way. And I would have loved for, for his character. Cause I loved the character of Wenwu to have been much more of an important piece to the ending there and to be a, a little bit more of a, uh, a force to be reckoned with. You know, with Tony Leung, we had Michelle Yeoh, another veteran uh, Chinese actor. Uh, you know, again, I think with both of these these actors, they 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 were great to see in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But you know, Michelle Yeoh, we've already seen her in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. She was in uh, Guardians Two, I believe. She played uh, Aleta Ogar. She's one of the original Guardians that was friends with with Yondu, right? She's yeah. with the at the end there. It's with the car. The funeral. Yeah, it's the car. Yeah. Oh. So she has been. So she has been in the MCU before. But it was nice to see her sort of uh, have a larger role. Right. Also, though, I think to the point of as we were already kind of discussing, like 
Tony Leung and Michelle Yeoh kind of add a little bit more contextual background to this, like the the rich narrative that this 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 seems to to have, like not just from a fighting standpoint and and whatnot, but like really like having like cultural relevancy, right? I think uh, uh, you know to to really hit home that. So you know she she was great, but again she was really just more of a device of, for exposition. Yeah, like right? I I think she was great in the role, but that was part of that the movie where it just kept going into exposition and she almost felt unnecessary as anything other than a storytelling device. And I, and I like her inclusion, especially because of, uh, you know, just how crouching tiger hidden dragon, the, some of those scenes, especially from the tallow fighters seemed it was appropriate to have her sort of embody that role. But yeah, her character definitely felt like a, a, an add on that might not have been entirely necessary. Mm-hmm. I, I probably one of the weaker points and i i understand why they went that route because again they're trying to drive home how important family is throughout this mm-hmm. film mm-hmm. to have that be again related to them and have know where her mom their mom came from and how much they she cared for them it, it, i understand the route but i do agree that it was she was basically just an exposition tool i'm hoping that in future outings with the character we'll get to see more than just a storytelling device yeah, I, I totally agree. Another character that, I, you know, again, I, I said this in our, our spoiler-free discussion, Zha Ling, played by uh, Meng Zhang. She's fire, man. She was awesome. And Fantastic. Like, they, she, like, when she was on the screen, she, like, she owned it. And they, I, I do think, though, that, that she, was, she wasn't utilized as much. But, again, we'll talk about why and, and where the, that might be. Re, she might reappear. But I almost think that's part the point of her character is that sure. yeah, even her character, not just her character, but her character in the movie is pushed back. And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm not having this anymore, well, right? Uh, not to go too far ahead, but like, after Shang-Chi escaped, he went and just lived his life and tried to be normal as possible. Whereas when she escaped, she decides she's going after power just as much. So I think that really draws back to the whole story, like the, the concept of the story they keep going back to is that they are the sum of their pasts, basically. Exactly. Their parents are where they came from. So just as much as Shang-Chi has his mom in him, she has her father. So that's where she's getting all that that power and anger from is from him. So I think, again, that's where we're going to see more of both her and possibly the man, like uh, Wen Wu's story going forward, be more through those flashback sequences and seeing the in- oh, impact yeah. he had on their lives. Uh, again, we'll we'll get into theory-based stuff as we get to the end here. There are two characters that I want to bring up that are kind of tied into more of an Easter egg, Wong and Abomination mm-hmm, going at mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. in Macau. Um, so I have a couple questions around this. Clearly, they're not fighting each other just for the sake of fighting each other. They are actually friends. And at the end of this battle, a portal opens and they walk what looks to be like in a more of a doesn't look like the sanctum, which right. It looks like it's a facility where uh, abomination might be being kept or being trained. I think is Wong involved in potentially bringing about the Thunderbolts? I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if he's going to be the the mystical mentor for that team. I mean, if they it did look like right? they were going back to a very raft like facility yes. in that in that portal. So That's really cool. I I wouldn't be surprised if if he was approached by Val being like, look, you know. Sorcerer Supreme's got his thing going on, but I need your help with the lower level stuff type thing. I would, I that would be really cool. I think yeah, I think I a think a really neat way to give Wong his own story and importance in the in the grander picture of the MCU. And maybe not even a story as much as like you just said though, importance. Yeah, an importance and an impact that he has other than just being in Doctor Strange movies, mm-hmm. right? So I just I, I just want to chime in and say Wong is my jam now. Like we've learned yeah. so much in even just the last like three weeks, it feels like about this guy's character from 
you know, I, first of all, in this movie, uh, so in his spare time, he just does illegal sports gambling. That's <laughs> yeah. cool. Makes some money. Fixing fights. <laughs> you know, in the in the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, he's, uh, you know, going on vacation seemingly. Just, you know, <laughs> oh, this, this, something's gone on here. There's winter everywhere. I'm getting out of here. I'm going somewhere warmer. Even in What If, he's just like, you know, uh, Stephen, don't, don't be meddling around with time. I'm just going to go make some tea. I'm not going to stop you. I'm just going to tell you not to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I would right. be Wong if I were in the MCU. I've decided that. Just like, nah, I don't you're like razor stuff, fist. You you're razor fist stuff. through and through, bro. Razor fist 100%. The backwards yeah. hat. Razor fist. <laughs> um, uh, I also want to just, you know, if, if we're talking about characters, and, and I, this does bleed a little bit back into story, but I do think from a character standpoint, I think they took two really great, bold choices here. I just wanted to shout out. I loved seeing Shang struggle so much with the idea of killing his father i don't think that's shown enough in action movies and superhero movies i think more recently we've started to get a little bit of that um but i just i really really dug how they how they did that and and say what you will about you know the acting in that scene i, I thought it was fantastic but mm-hmm. but i i just i really dug how they managed to to show that off I don't think they did. I, I would totally really? disagree with that. I don't think they did. See, that's my problem. That's what we were talking about earlier in that. I wish there had been more of a connection between father and son when times were really good. You never yeah. get an establishment of them being close like that, right? It I always agree. just seems like he's that overbearing father who does terrible things and makes him do terrible things. That I, I don't understand that that sort of hesitancy to take that final step to stop him. It should have been a no-brainer. This guy's a dick. When your father is an, an overlord that's a thousand years old and has taken over countless civilizations and people, he, he, he's not your dad anymore. He's the bad Kevin, guy. I, I, Kevin, yeah. he played... He played- Dance Dance Revolution with him, okay? When you play Dance Dance Revolution with somebody and you're standing on their feet and you're a little kid, he's your dad. For the first first 10 years of his life, he only looked up to this man as his father. He wasn't being trained to be a killer or anything like that. He was just a normal boy growing up. And I think that's, again, they gloss over that, but it's implied easily enough just through the few brief flashbacks we get that he was a very caring father up until the moment his wife passed. And that's when he regressed back to his past ways realizing that I can attain what I need with power. And of course, that leads him down the dark route. And I thought, I thought that was, I agree with Nate. I thought it was a really, really cool way of showing like Shang-Chi still remembers those, his like, formative years with his father. And those are so impactful on him that it was, it made him hard to do, uh, hard to finish him I off. I guess, I guess. I, I just feel like though there's there, I, I, I see what you're saying. Cause if you, if you compare the realization that he has to kill his father with the memories that he has remembered, yeah. of his father that we've that we've been walked through then you could probably make that argument i just i would say that those memories didn't showcase enough of either either or right like they you know like i think the most impactful one is when he took him to find who killed his mother right like i think that was a really impactful memory you know there there was this there was a definitely a harshness and i think that it, it's very much it's it's insinuated but and maybe even flirted with if you would if you'd say but not necessarily as as definitive i feel like of if they were going to show that many flashbacks they really hammered home why he would be angry at his father but not enough about why he would love him you know dance mm. dance revolution doesn't train punching your <laughs> fists to death and being forced to go kill a guy that killed and being blamed for your mother's death those would mm. outweigh a little dance dance revolution in terms of my scale of whether i like or hate somebody that's mm. all yeah 
I, I also feel like Shang-Chi blamed himself, though, because he did just stand and watch. That is the reason why he agreed to help his father hunt down the killers and why he agreed to the training in the first place. So I think that was the, like it was he was fully aware of what he was agreeing to. It was later on down the path that he realized that wasn't what he that path that his mother would be proud of for him. I will say uh, a character that was completely underutilized uh, was uh, the death dealer or death dealer by, played by Andy Lee. Uh, this character looked so cool in the trailers, uh, and with one soul-stealing demon, he was yeah. out of there. Like, was the it was like what? it was like the Captain Phasma of of the MCU, right? Like the sure. oh yeah, yeah the marketing's got him there. He's got yeah. the action figures that look he's super cool. cool. Too, and you, his well, and even, like, he has was really three great. pretty yeah. cool moments throughout the movie, and like he's got yeah. the best music for an individual character in the movie. Every time he comes on, the tone of the the scene changes and you're you're intimidated and afraid of this character, but you learn nothing about him, who he is, why he's doing what he does, and then he just like you said Justin gets wiped out and it's like, "Bye." You know, he's he's as inconsequential in the end as bow and arrow man. You know, it's just like, "Boom, soul sucker, you're dead." Moving on. Yeah. Well, I think uh, two things. I think his main the main reason they included him is more just again to nod towards the comics cuz there sure. is the character of Death Dealer in the comics and they don't even refer to him that as that in the movie at all really. He's just the like the personal trainer or uh, teacher yeah, to yeah. to Shang Chi, and I think again that that's a more spinning that comic origin of the character because in the comics he he is Shang Chi's friend and like like partner basically before he goes down the route to become the assassin that fights him regularly. So again, I think it was more just a nod to that, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see another iteration of him going forward because it's not it's like a mantle, like a mantle. Yeah, it's a mantle. It is. It, yeah, that's essentially it. It feels like Taskmaster 2.0, though. Cool in the marketing, cool for the first few scenes, and then fizzles out to not be much in the end. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I mentioned there was one more thing from a character thing that I just want to quickly touch upon because I know we want to get into that multiverse of madness with all our theories and what have you. But, um, you know, we didn't really talk about Katie. I think Katie uh, Aquafina did not bug me as much as she's bugged me in previous movies, uh, as some of our listeners of our podcast might be aware of. But I did want to just shout out I, what I liked even more than Katie's character was her relationship with Chung, and I thought they did such a good job at portraying a platonic relationship this time mm-hmm. around, um, yes. where every you know superhero movie, every action movie, you got to have the love interest, and I like how they sort of touched upon that, but they really, they hinted really, at it. they, but they think yeah. they really nailed home like they're friends, and I thought that yeah. was so cool to see between you know the, these these two characters that yes, a man and a woman can be friends and best friends. I I think it goes to speak to how far like back they knew each other too. Like she was the first person that Shang uh, Chi started hanging out once he escaped, and that was his life outside of his father and his mother's death and all everything that came before was tied to her. So I think that alone gives him a lot of connection to her, and just they did a really good job portraying that in this movie. And I really I really enjoyed it. Like you said, it was really cool to see two friends and see that that's that was their basis of their relationship and not the attraction to each other. Right. And I, I will say, you know, in my first. First thoughts after our first viewing that, yeah, uh, Aquafina bothered me a lot more than she did the second time around. And I think, Darcy, you nailed right on the head why. And that's because it wasn't the entire movie where she was relied upon to be that comedic character. And so it wasn't too much yeah, of something, yeah. right? And so they were right. able to shift gears. And it was cool for her to sort of find something that she could do and invest her interests in and be a part of it. 
uh, towards the latter half of the movie there. But speaking of the latter half of that movie, they, do, uh, upon second viewing, they really do start to hint that there might be a bit more than friendship there. No, like yeah. the way they're they're comforting each other after the big fight was a bit more than just friends. It seemed very like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't. I don't know. And then they're locking arms to go through the portal at the end. I don't know. I think in the sequel we I might see know. them. We might see a little hookup. Who knows? Who if knows? I can I theorize about what might happen in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, with that, guys, we have much more to discuss. But before we get to that, I thought we could wrap things up with our final thoughts and a rating for this movie out of 10 rings. So who'd like to go first? Yeah, I mean, let's just, you know, I think we kind of talked a lot in our, our spoiler-free about the the pacing of the movie, the the way that it sort of just ends, the the mystic aspect of it, um, sort of taking away from the family side of things, and those were the parts that kind of um, brought brought my score down a little bit. Uh, but see, again, seeing this with an audience and and having people literally like crying, laughing at at Trevor Slattery next to me, and and you know, kind of having the booming sound of a proper theater really did elevate my experience with this. And I will say this movie is better seen a second time. I definitely think uh, it is one of those movies that you want to give it an, a, a, a second chance if you came away from it feeling a little conflicted. Um, I I loved so much of the bold, uh, you know, sort of choices that they made. Um, I thought it was fantastic the way that they managed to keep the, the subtitles um, you know, throughout the film so prevalent, prevalently um, and, and you know, really f- focusing on having them speak Chinese, uh, I thought was really, really important and really well done. The cinematography, as we mentioned, um, the only thing that, again, sort of dr- dragged me down a little bit was the lack of themes of music. I thought it was a little bit uh, lackluster in the fact that I can't tell you what the theme song is for Shang-Chi. I would have liked that dun, a little dun, bit more. Dun, dun. Is That's that it? Theme. Yeah, I was okay. humming it, but dun, only dun, after dun, the dun. end credits. Right. I was humming it after the movie, but only after <laughs> the end credits. So, I mean, ultimately, again, the action is incredible in the movie. The visuals are incredible. So many wonderful characters. And the reintroduction of, of Trevor Slattery was such a delight throughout the film. I wanted more Wenwu, um, but I can't wait to see where they take Simu and, and Katie uh, Aquafina going forward um, in the MCU. I think it's going to be really cool. And, and I hope to kind of get a lot of that. As you mentioned, Justin, that ground level sort of fighting where we are going to see sort of a, a split of into the intergalactic multiversal stuff. And then we'll still get to see Shang-Chi as, as more of that sort of on the street, sort of martial arts, more physical aspect of done. the MCU. So I hope, I hope we get to still continue to see that. But uh, overall, I am going to give this movie eight out of 10 rings. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh just want to jump in here too because i know i was again before the movie i I mentioned street level and stuff like that and that was before i had done a bit more reading and catching up in the the marvel universe and he seems to be going much more cosmic level as in the comics he was previous recently for a brief period the host of the phoenix force most associated with gene gray of the x so he his character is definitely going to be uh i think playing more both sides of the story both on the street level and cosmic going forward yeah. I think his character is the perfect one to cross that line, though, because he is—he has such a connection to the real world, the ground level, as well as this mystical other realm, essentially. So I thought it—I think we're gonna—he's gonna have a lot uh, more of an important role going forward in the uh, the MCU. I mean, if you tried to argue with me that that martial arts in space 
was going to work, I probably right now would say I don't believe you. But listen, it's 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 the it's Marvel. It's it's you know yeah. Kevin Feige. They'll figure it out and they'll do something where I'm like martial arts in space. It was incredible. <laughs> so I'm sure we'll get there. Uh, maybe in, maybe in Guardians Four, you know, Shang Chi will join yeah. the team or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyways, going into the, like my overall score of the film, I really enjoyed it. Like I've said that multiple times. Just the way that they told the story, they used the traditional uh, storytelling methods from the East to to really hammer home what they what their culture is all about, while still bringing it to the main modern you know MCU uh, like title. Basically, I thought it was I thought it was a really cool exp- uh, um, cool. I was gonna say yeah, adventure. There we go. Um, I love the characters. I can't wait to see more where, again, the Shang-Chi has so much potential going forward. Like I just said, he could be both that street level and tied into more of the, the greater scheme of things. It seems like a lot of stuff in this this phase four will be mystical in nature. So I think, uh, again, having more of these mystical heroes will give us more alleys to explore what's out there in the MCU. And I'm really looking forward to it. The action was great. I, I loved I loved everything about it. So I'm going to give this one an 8.5 out of 10 rings for sure. It's definitely up there in, in terms of my favorite origin stories from the MCU. Cool. Kev? Uh, yeah, as for myself, um, it's it's funny. I, I liked certain elements more upon a second viewing. I liked certain elements less. And that sort of put me right around where I was after my first viewing. Uh, I think uh, the, the, the end sort of uh, climax scene sort of grew on me a bit more watching it again and noticing little details that helped sort of elevate that scene in terms of the action. Whereas some of the flashbacks, some of the, the backstory does sort of slow the movie down a bit too much for, for what I'm looking for for a fast-paced, fun Marvel movie. And so I get why they made those decisions. I'm just not sure I enjoyed them all equally. Um, I think... Trevor Slattery alone and his confusion about how Planet of the Apes works and what was going on there might be my single favorite Marvel joke of all time now, uh, replacing Drax not understanding uh, the metaphor about going over his head and then the first time we get Luis doing the uh, drunk history style retelling of what happened. Those were previous favorites. But yeah, Trevor Slattery was the, sh- the, the scene stealer, the, the, the show stealer for me and really elevated this a bit higher than I think it would have been without his presence. Uh, I think what I'm afraid of going forward is that the best elements of this are that street level, intense, one-on-one fighting style that both the character of Shang-Chi and Simu um, as a great performance actor bring to it. I think the further you get away from that, the less I'm going to find myself attached to this character if it's all flashy CGI stuff rather than physical stunt work because I think that was so unique that we haven't seen a lot of from previous movies and so again I think while this movie tries to be different from previous MCU movies and is in certain ways it falls back on a lot of those tropes that make the other movies what they are and so yeah this one's very middle of the road for me in terms of an origin story in terms of where it fits into the larger scheme of things so I think I'm right about where I was after my first viewing so I'm going to give this one a seven point two out of ten bracelets i mean rings (laughs) (laughs) very good very good um yeah i i don't know if there's much that i can really add other than referencing a quote that uh, i saw kind of show up uh, on twitter shang chi and the legend of the ten rings does develop 
uh, sort of a, a deeper connection for, for, for the Marvel Universe. But I think the best thing that can be said about this movie is that it didn't need them. Uh, there are so many other things about this movie that, that you should celebrate about it and from the cultural aspects. It grounds everything to its core right back to its cultural inspiration of, of Chinese culture. Um, like I've already kind of really, like the sticking point for me was how that third act really shifts uh, into that mystic. Um, you know, it, it does sort of abandon ship, if you will, with what they were establishing in the first two acts and really go down a different trajectory and, and for the purpose of expanding uh, the MCU. So while I appreciate that, I do think that they didn't need to do that. They they had some strong, grounded elements that really, really uh, helped give this a lot more heart uh, at the beginning of this film. But much like Black Panther, this this film is going to be celebrated for it, putting the cultural identity at the forefront and really capturing that in, in all capacities. And I do think that it did live up to. Uh, you know, kind of achieving the same sort of goal that Black Panther did achieve as well. And, and I think it's fair to say that it's time for us to see stories on on heroes that, that we, you know, that aren't commonly seen. Uh, so to tell that story in a more authentic way, it, it's it's amazing. You got to see it on the largest screen, obviously. And I will agree, seeing it with, with booming sound helped. It helped hit with those, those action scenes and, and everything. So, um, you know, second viewing, I come out a little bit better. But uh, I think I would give this uh, an 8 out of 10 rings. So I, I think that's that's where I'm at as well. Um, but you know what? We're not done talking about this movie, okay? Because like all good Marvel movies, we got some end credit scenes. Well, a mid credit scene, then an end credit scene. Um, let's get right into the mid credit scene, okay? So after the film ends, Wong interrupts Shang-Chi and Katie at dinner. Our mid credit scene picks up with our new heroes convening with veteran Avengers, Bruce Banner and Captain Marvel speculating the origins of these titular rings. Besides establishing some of the top-ranking Avengers who are still active, uh, they reveal that these rings are emitting a mysterious beacon. The, the scene then concludes with Wong affirming that Shang-Chi and Katie are going to play a big part in what's next. So I got a couple questions just to kind of kick things off here. Uh, first, when are we like like time has clearly passed banner is human again but he still has the arm sling right captain marvel's hair has clearly grown as well um and 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 who is on the other side of this beacon and 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 wh who is receiving this what do you think this is alluding to in terms of the larger arc uh for for phase four with these rings uh well i mean the fir my first thought uh after seeing both you know the rings in use and then once wong expanded them to get a closer look at that beacon uh when it was coming from my first thought was it looked like it was very uh, similar to the the neural networks they were showing when they were de uh, de designing vision and ultron and it almost looked like it was thinking to a certain point uh but again i uh, immediately thought they said it was older than a thousand years and we know that another movie coming out soon is going to be delving into some of the deeper marvel history with the eternals so all i could think of is that it's it's must be connected to the celestials ding ding so ding 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 i think that's so too bro thing. and it, i mean very likely that it could be because again they're the ones who have had the history and they are from another planet so they this technology could have come from them in some way i really think that'd be interesting if it's uh, again, either it's either signaling the Celestials or if it's signaling someone that, you know, in, okay, I'm going to go to the comics here. 
uh, celestials in the comics reproduce by basically laying an egg inside planets. Yes. And so the the planet, after a certain so many years, will hatch and be destroyed when a new celestial is born. So if they were allowed to run rampant through the universe, they would be decimating the entire universe. Come along Galactus, basically. His create his whole role in the comic universe is to cull the expanse of celestials. He eats planets where they're about to be hatched. Right. So I'm wondering if we're either going to be yeah, signaling the emergence in Eternals is the birth of a new celestial. Yes. Or if this beacon is sent by Galactus to tell him, no, hey, the emergence is coming. Come eat the planet soon. So those are my two theories. <laughs> it's from- his egg timer. It's yes. Galactus's egg timer. It's like, your yes. eggs are boiled. Come eat it. <laughs> no, so that could be setting up for, again, the Fantastic Four because he is sure. most known with yes. them. So it'd be interesting if this is already starting to plant those little seeds that he will be seeing there. I'd see more likely, though, that it is connected to just Celestials outright and that they are they have sent them here in the past for some reason. Well, Ying, Ying Nan, played by, by Michelle Yeoh, says the Ten Rings are stronger than anything. Mm-hmm. In the in in your universe, so it's, yes. it's it's clear that it is a artifact that is clearly older than anyone can really define. Especially with with the scene, we see how how that's kind of how perplexed everyone from every corner of the universe, Marvel universe, is confused by these rings. Right, we have the science, you have the space, and you have the magic, the mystic. all the yeah, right, looking the- at it, being like, "What the hell is this?" Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I think what's really interesting is that this doesn't get addressed until this scene, right? Like, like they they don't really they they allude to it's old, he's old, like, and he found it in a crater. Again, it, it's just there's so there's such a lack of information that's shared in this movie that it needs to be explored. And and I think you're right, Darcy. I think it's the Eternals that will see uh, more answers to where these Ten Rings come from. You almost have to wonder if we'll see at the beginning of the movie when they're going over the past of the Eternals. Because we do know that the Eternals does come to our modern MCU at a certain point in that movie. So I think the the opening portions of that movie is, is going to focus on that. I would love to see the discovery place or the building, you know, that when Wu sees, maybe not Tony, you know, we won't see him specifically, but to see the rings there, I think would be really, really cool. Well, I, mm-hmm. I honestly don't think we're done with him. I, I no, don't think I, we're done with him. And I, I think we will see him throughout maybe in other films in, in coming back in some sort of way. I, I, I feel like, I don't know. I just don't, I don't know if they've, they, they're done with that character, but, but only in the how past. old he is. But only in the yeah, past. Yeah, only his, in the past. His soul has been sucked, Justin. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. But, it, you know, again, the, the whole experience of this movie really does hint at sort of another cultural view of the mystics within the MCU, right? Like, even our big baddie at the end here, you know, the soul-sucking demon, uh, you know, the, we, we had the cosmic... And now it seems like we're we're really stepping into this mystic, but more on the ground level. Like we're seeing dimensional, multiversal qualities sort of like kind of ripple now within Earth. And it kind of feels like these rings are going to be sort of a contributing factor as to how that, that, that goes forward. Like my first takeaway after seeing the, the reveal of the, the soul suckers and then the big, the dark one from, from wherever, I can't remember what they called him in the movie. But the first thing I thought took away was that this must be one of the versions of their elder ones. I've talked about it before in some of the previous podcasts we've been together. And it seems like a lot of the stuff for phase four, at least in the mystic side, will be dealing with these ones, these extra dimensional beings who are older than time itself type thing. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we find out later on that this being that was defeated in this movie was potentially like one of the elder gods. And that's why 
uh, Shang-Chi's rings are so important going forward is that they can deal with these like super high level threats and like this is something they need to study going forward uh darcy though i gotta ask um the it's called the mini angled ones is that what they kind of also go by the the elder gods the mini yeah angled? there's yeah well just because yeah. the, the the main villain in this and and a lot of the soul suckers just reminded me so much of what we got with with Doctor Strange this week mm-hmm. in in What If and I think you know I I do think they're very intentional with how they they set these things up and they set up these releases and so you know it really kind of is digging into my mind that like not only is it going to be something related to Mephisto with with who's calling Wen Wu but also if Mephisto maybe even just is our our evil Doctor Strange from that episode because you know you have to think about it. It's this, it, the the dark energy that's calling to Wen Wu to open the gate. You know, it's almost the same storyline of of you know Christine losing Christine and then you know not giving up on her and needing to bring her back. You can almost see how how you know evil it would be for a character like Dark Doctor Strange or uh, Strange Supreme to want to and Mephisto to want to um to to almost pull someone through that experience as well uh, and and sort of feed off of that as well at the same time. I don't know. Something about the whole aspect of soul sucking and just consuming and the sort of the evil nature, uh, the imagery of all the Cthulhu-like characters, it just really hammered home a lot of what we saw in What If. And the fact that that episode comes out the same week that we get this movie, I I don't know, man. There's got to be a connection there. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that these elder, the elder ones or gods, are going to be a big thing. Again, I'm not sure how much of a connection Mephisto will have with them. I mean, he's he's kind of his own different realm. There are multiple different dimensions and everything that we're getting attacked from constantly, at least in the in the uh, comics. So to have to combine two of these threats into one just feels like a waste to me. Going down the road, you'd have like Mephisto would never turn to the elder ones because even he can't control them. So I feel like they got to be two separate entities if they are a thing. Mm. Uh, I mean, one thing I do want to talk about after that post credit scene, we've talked about the rings and everything like that, but I think clearly Bruce is still suffering from the effects of that snap. I feel like he got overloaded with gamma radiation and, and can't control the Hulk anymore. I almost feel like he has gamma poisoning from the Hulk. Oh. It looked like he had almost a little meter on his arm that was keeping track of some sort of levels. Like Clearly that snap is has repercussions on him as a character for sure. Hmm. Uh, I mean, we saw the same thing with Thanos. Right after the snap, he was shriveled and cri- crippled. So yeah, I... I, I think that Snap is like that. We might not see the Hulk in Hulk form for a while yet. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't, after watching the first time, it was like, oh, there's Bruce, you know, without cluing in. Wait a minute. It's not uh, what, Smart, what, Hulk. Smart Hulk. Whoa, you know, and yeah, his arm is still in the sling, um, possibly from the damage that he incurred from the, the that first Snap. So it will be interesting to see. Uh, what they do with that character. I guess, I bet the first time or the next time we really see that character explored more will be in um, She-Hulk. She-Hulk. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. think for sure that's where we'll see him next and get more of what's happened to him since then. Uh, it could be, it'd be interesting to see if uh, like the blood transfusion that uh, Walters requires, like his cousin requires, is more in response to trying to help Bruce you know, through his gamma po- uh, poison. Interesting. Ooh, maybe wow. she so, takes it on to she, help him, uh, or yes. and that's how she becomes so, she. Yeah, it'd be yeah. interesting if they go that route because again, there's how she gets her powers in the MCU is still going to be up for grabs, and right. if it's going to be a blood transfusion now with Bruce being overloaded, it seems like an, a neat way to say like I got to offload it onto someone willing, so <laughs> it's turned to family. Very cool. Yeah. Wow, dude, that 
just totally blew my mind. That's pretty cool. Um, but we got one more scene because you know how the MCU like to do. We don't get one. <laughs> we get two. All right. They, so okay. following the credits is an additional teaser scene. We see Shang-Chi's sister, Sha Ling, in the middle of some pretty extensive renovations to her late father's compound after her underground fight club apparently suffered some damage in the brawl against her father. Uh, it's only fitting that she would seize command of the Ten Rings army and allow women to join the forces too. Um, what she'll exactly do, obviously, is the big, big, big question for that I have for you guys. Uh, but what I think is also equally notable here is that, uh, you know, at the end, we usually get, you know, Shang-Chi will return. But in fact, we got the Ten Rings will return. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's discuss. What do we think? I, I actually really I thought I was fired up after this scene. Yeah, I'd uh, love to see. I'd love to see it like a, a Disney plus series of the 10 rings like i think that would really work really well with her at the helm of it and to like kind of explore her character so much more because i think i think to to put her in in another movie where she's uh, either a villain or a side character i think would do a disservice because she her performance in the movie was so good yeah i want to see her as as a lead as a lead in something so i think to put her in uh for for a disney plus series where we can explore her character for more than just an hour would be awesome. This again, uh, her taking over the father's empire after he gets booted or, or you know kicked out, whatever have you in the comics. She takes up the reins as well. So this is straight from the comics. I thought it was a very unique way. Like again, I, you, I kind of saw it coming given my very limited interaction with the characters. So I thought it was very very cool to see that come to fruition. Uh, so again, I, I feel like seeing her going forward, she'll be the villain. Uh, potentially in the next Shang-Chi movie or some other movie as she spreads her, you know, fingers out there. Maybe she's going to be the villain in the next Captain America movie as she tries to grow the Ten Rings influence again. Yeah, I, dude, I, I honestly, I am totally for that. I, I found this scene, like I said, absolute fire. I think that, first off, we we see the exact same scene at the beginning with Win Wan uh, as the camera pulls back, revealing the Ten Rings in this grand army. We now see the same scene sort of recreated, but with her super badass ronnie's there at, you know it's going to be a good time whatever's going to happen but the doors that it opens you know we now have the power broker uh involved in the mcu is this someone that the ten rings will start to interact with we know val's around working with the thunderbolts but i feel like that's more like you know dark shield if you will right like yeah, you know just she's, sort of, she's definitely she's government, a good guy anti-hero right exactly so she might yeah. not necessarily get involved she might be combating the 10 rings rather than than working mm-hmm. with but I, I think it's interesting you know they've they've established who the power broker is with with sharon carter and now you know we have the the head of the 10 rings it's just it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how how we kind of uh move forward what if though i, I know it's a show that marvel does but what <laughs> if this does lead to a character like electra Absolutely. I think that would make a lot of sense to get her into that. And I also think from a standpoint of bringing Daredevil into the mix, right. this totally works. And and it just speaks so heavily to kind of 
the 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 theory that I think a lot of people are having, and I'm certainly having, which is that going forward, we are going to see the MCU split into two separate main narratives that we're going to follow. A narrative in space dealing with the cosmic and the multiversal stuff, and then a narrative that's going to be more grounded, where we do get some of these heroes that aren't going to be up there in space fighting sure. celestials. I, I, I do think that, and I think it's such a great way to bring in the defenders in these moments, and especially with characters like the Thunderbolts, I just think that all melds really well together with sort of this side story. Well, sorry, the secondary story to what we're going to be branching off of from the Infinity so do Saga. You, so just to, for clarity, like where does magic fit into it? Because I, I feel like there's there's really three fractions of what we're seeing here to, to the point of what you're mentioning, like the galactical, the space, the earthbound. And then, you know, magic it seems to be... But a bit of both, right? It's both on on Earth and it and it does reach the, beyond the stars. But it's just, where does that sort of fit into it? Uh, well, I think my big takeaway, or whatever I go back to whenever we're dealing with mystical stuff, is the line from the Thor, second Thor movie, first Thor movie, where he talks about how science and magic are considered one and the same where he's from. And so I think it's along those lines in sure. that magic is just going to be another form of technology, and it, that's how it's looked at as in this in this universe. Uh, and a lot of the the uh, like the magic we've seen in, in uh, at least on the Talos side was more just the manip- manipulation of their chi. Like a very big thing in all martial arts, arts even in yeah. the real world yeah. uh, is all about centering yourself and flowing chi and that's where their mystical stuff comes from. So it's more about using the power within and from nature around you whereas the Doctor Strange is more casting the spells and you know re- rewriting laws of reality through his use of spells. So that's how they're, there's, that's the bit of divide I see at least sure. between the two okay. types of, of magic. Cool. Yeah. I'm going in a whole different direction with where we could see this character in the future. Um, I'm wondering if, you know, seeing Extremis again wasn't just a fun little Easter egg for fans, or if we might see that again. And, you know, obviously, Xiling has the connection with the Extremis now through her Macau fighting ring. And so what if extremist sort of ties into future Iron Man related things like um, Armor Wars or Iron Heart and that's sort of where we see the Ten Rings sort of come back into fruition is in that part of this mm-hmm. this universe. Because they used, they used his yeah. weaponry, right? They yeah. used yeah. his weaponry in the original movie. Ah, that works, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm totally I'm totally on board with that because again, seeing that one guy fighting in the in the fight cell, it was, it, to, to know that it still exists even after Tony Stark went out of his way to try and get rid of all of it, it definitely means it's going to come come back into play at some point and affect, you know, the legacy of Tony Stark and everyone associated with sure. it. So I totally sure. agree. The te- Having the Ten Rings actually be the Iron Man villain or uh, quote unquote Iron Man villain in the Armor Wars would be a, a really cool way to explore that again like the original beginning of the MCU but you know 20 years later type thing but I think then yeah really so it's, cool. it's it's time it's it's kind of like finding a sort of poetic repetition if you will where mm-hmm. life always finds a way of, of repeating it's, itself the ten rings will always mess with the whoever's wearing an sure. iron suit type thing so. interesting <laughs> yes if I got the comic book guy on my side then I must uh, be right oh, I, I mentioned <laughs> I wanted to mention that too because that again that extremist extremist shot was definitely more than just a, a little throwaway it's got to have greater implications going forward and the first thing I thought of was armor wars and to, to make that connection between ten rings and armor wars it just really sucks cool. go it just sucks though because that you know that movie wasn't that great. Okay. Yeah. I think it would be really cool though if if 
Armor Wars did lead into Ironheart and and brought up Riri Williams. Uh, and and then, you know, I had mentioned that I'd love Xiling to be in her own series as a lead, but to have her as maybe an, an like an opposition. So you've got a, a yeah. two, two-part storyline classic, you know, yeah. hero villain, but then at the end they sort of come together, I think would be so cool well, we know, uh, as a juxtaposition for that character. It would yeah. be really awesome. Well, we know we're going to get Riri in, in Black Panther 2. Right, so she, that's where her introduction is going to be, oh, okay. and uh, it makes sense because I think Shuri and Riri are actually friends and and sort of collaborators, yes. if you will. Yeah, like I, the after Banner after and yeah, after Tony. Ironheart makes a name for herself and becomes more right. of a hero, she does become acquainted with Shuri and bond mm-hmm. over their shared love of technology. Yep. So it would be interesting to see if that's where we start, because again, in the comics, that's much more later down Ironheart's. Uh, uh, career path if you'll call it that well, that she meets up with Shuri so to start there would be a really really cool way to again spin that story to more to adapt to the MCU as a movie Shang-Chi does, Shang-Chi does a great job of introducing us to some characters that we're going to see going forward through phase four and beyond but more than that the end of this movie and these post credit scenes do more to seemingly set up future storylines than a movie has in the MCU in quite a while. Mm-hmm. So if that's the takeaway from this movie is how much it does to set up future stories, it really succeeded in that regard. Yeah, I think that's one of the big highlights, right? And especially after the sort of shift in the story of Shang-Chi, coming to this mid-credit and end-credit scene really does get you excited. Right, because it gets you stoked for the implications of of everything that that we have to to see moving forward in Phase Four. But guys and our fellow listeners, thank you for sticking around and and chatting and listening to all of our theories and us talk about Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is out now in theaters. So be sure to go check it out. And if you do check it out and, and you want to let us know what you thought and your own theories and, and what's what the MCU is doing moving forward, let us know at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Also, if email is too old or too formal for you, feel free to reach us out. Uh, reach out to us on Twitter at GeekcentricYT or Instagram at WeAreGeekcentric. Keep in mind we have also a ton of other episodes covering a variety of other content from TV shows to movies and we always got new content coming out. So make sure you're subscribed and if, feel free to leave us a review. Five stars would be greatly appreciated. But guys, as always... Darcy, Nate, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me for today's spoiler-filled discussion of Shang-Chi. And as we say, love ya. Get home safe, guys. Laters. Peace. Peace.